Welcome to the Innovation and in Government Show, sponsored by Kerasoft. Each month, we'll talk with industry experts who enable innovation and make government more responsive and secure by advancing key technologies. Now, here's your host, Jason Miller. Welcome to the show. My guest today is John Fangi, the Federal Chief Technology Officer for Cybersecurity at Microfocus Government Solutions. John, welcome to the discussion. Thanks so much, Jason. Good to be here. Let me set just a little context for our conversation today. The Cybersecurity and Infrastructure Security Agency released three emergency cyber directives in the last five months. It's needless to say, agency CIOs and CISOs have had this fire drill one after the other, patch those critical vulnerabilities in software. Now, of those three breaches, SolarWinds, Microsoft, and Pulse Secure, the SolarWinds breach probably caused the most problems. CISO reported at least nine agencies were impacted directly, while every agency had to, had to scramble during the first few weeks after the breach to understand if they were impacted or not. But the SolarWinds breach isn't just a one-off. It's, it's part of a growing threat surface. The Identity Theft Resource Center found in its 2020 data breach report that supply chain attacks are increasingly popular with attackers since they can access the information of large organizations or multiple organizations through a single third-party vendor. ITRC says 668 entities were impacted by third-party or supply chain breaches last year. Now, these types of attacks will become more complex and challenging as agencies continue to live in a mixed environment of legacy and newer technologies. So how can agencies prepare for the next cyber attack and, and ensure their missions are resilient? Well, that's where my guest comes in. John Fangi is the Federal Chief Technology Officer for Cybersecurity at Microfocus Government Solutions. John, we've talked a lot about over the, over the last three, four, five months with the solar winds breach, but really it's it, when it comes down to it is, is what can federal IT professionals prioritize? How can they kind of reduce the likelihood or the impact of something like this happening again? So I would say there's one key program um, that should be prioritized in the federal space higher than almost everything else, and that's TIC 3.0. Uh, TIC 3.0 program team has done a remarkable job at creating a, the new standard uh, that agencies must procure networking services, and it's called TIC 3.0. And effectively, TIC 3.0 really isn't that much about networking. It's really about data protection and privileged access management. Who's on the network, what's happening on the network, what data is on the network and how is it being protected. And that one pro program, TIC 3.0, is a mandate and it's already in force, although the vast majority of agencies, perhaps all, are behind on addressing those things. Part of it is just sheer procurement delays based on their existing uh, TIC 2.0 EIS um, networking if you will, procurements. But the reality is TIC 3.0, I think is the silver bullet and it's a mandate. And while it doesn't specifically have any dollars behind it, it does completely round out the vast array of cybersecurity challenges that CIOs and their IT leadership and CISOs and federal are uh, having to deal with. Just recently, CISA released some new use cases around TIC 3.0. So I think a lot of the, the agencies are kind of on that wait and see are you starting to hear a lot of discussion about it? I mean, we hear about it in events, but what are the CIOs, what are your customers saying? Absolutely. And in fact, uh, when I engage federal IT leaders, I just happen to mention TIC 3.0 and our ability to help support their needs there. It's an instant, send me what you got. Um, because effectively every one of those procurements will require TIC 3.0 and it's a very broad level of compliance. Um, but the products are out there. We have perhaps the broadest spectrum of products across TIC 3.0. And effectively, the, if you will, the how do you achieve TIC 3.0 is uh, a lot of what I do with these federal IT leaders. You can't snap your fingers, 
but effectively, you know, in implementing TIC 3.0 compliant EIS or other networking solutions in the federal space will give you a dramatically safer, better protected uh, realm in uh, across your agency. It's also going to relieve all that burden of having to go out, come back. Uh, we've heard for years how, and I've written the story, you know, TIC 3.0 or TIC and cloud just didn't get along well because of the latency that was built in. So in case of people maybe aren't quite familiar with, with the Trusted Internet Connections 3.0 version, just give me a quick walkthrough. Why, why is it so much better than TIC 2.0 and definitely better than TIC 1.0? So TIC 3.0 is very little about actual network endpoint, which is effectively what TIC 1.0 and 2.0 dealt with. Because of the way the EIS, $50 billion GSA program was led, includes software-defined networks. And that effectively created new, if you will, capabilities that TIC 2.0 did not address. The TIC 3.0 program team wisely looked broader than just SDN and created a very comprehensive, thorough, perhaps will service for the next 15 years, set of key requirements for TIC 3.0. And TIC 3.0 really has five major requirements. Manage the traffic, protect traffic confidentiality, protect traffic integrity, ensure service reliance, and ensure effective response. And I could go into each one of those. They sound very broad and, and, um, and murky, but again, the TIC 3.0 program did an amazing job of outlining exactly what you need to address to achieve TIC 3.0. And again, that is a requirement now, and it's been in effect for almost a year, and agencies are scrambling to catch back up to implement those solutions. The good news is in implementing TIC 3.0, you're going to get a lot of things that you as a federal IT leader have always wanted to, you just didn't really have the mandate or perhaps the funding. Things like zero trust, privilege access management, data confidentiality, uh, format preserving encryption of data, and a number of other things. When we talk about this SolarWinds breach, again, it goes back to we're not gonna there's no silver bullet for that, right? It's a supply chain attack. It was it was a trusted type of, of update, but I think what TIC does and what some of these other tools can do is, is offer resilience and offer, well, we lost this part of the network, but we didn't lose the entire network. And I think that's the key here is that micro segmentation or something what we commonly referred in the zero trust framework, the idea of, of, of carving off a part of the network. So you're not, uh, if you will, facing, you know, it's not, it, once you're in, you're not island hopping, if you will. Talk me through how TIC and other cybersecurity efforts are kind of moving in that direction to, to really ensure that the, the, the entire network's protected and it's not, again, you're, once you're through the front door, you have the whole house. Right, so the reality is what we learned from the SolarWinds breach and then a number of others actually is a few things. One is the data is what they're after and the data will get exfiltrated by any number of means because we're dealing with state actors as well as potentially insider threats, nefarious or otherwise. So protecting the data and minimizing the usefulness of that data should be priority number one. So effectively, if you just assume that, all right, the data that we have, no matter how well protected, will eventually get exfiltrated somehow, insider or otherwise, how do we minimize that? And, and the easy way to do that is form preserving encryption based on the NIST standards. So NIST, always ahead of the game with the standards, already has this figured out. And there's a number of solutions, including ours, which can deliver this. And it's important to realize that format preserving encryption isn't necessarily appropriate for everything, but for anything that's HIPAA or PII related, particularly for federal employees and citizens, it's critical 
that that data be uh, uh, encrypted with format preserving encryption. And that's, that's different than disk encryption and, and SSL, et cetera, et cetera. Well, you know, my next question is going to be is let's define format preserving encryption because I'm not sure everyone will know what that means. Oh, happy to talk about that. So I'll try to make this very straightforward. Format preserving encryption is select field or subfield encryption using pseudonymized tokenized keys that are secure either in the cloud or on premises based on your agency's preference. So the reality is, let's say my social security number is 410063157. Typically in most applications, whether it's citizen or employee, the only thing that's actually used within an application for verification of those last four. So in the database, if we use this format preserving encryption to change the first five characters to something that really doesn't align to me as a person, but the last four characters are, then effectively we've made that social security number associated with my name useless to exfiltrators. Okay, no, that's really helpful because it's it's kind of a bit of a new term and that maybe people aren't as familiar with. It's only been a few months since the SolarWinds breach. Do you get a sense things are, are changing? Do you think that that agencies and other really any large organizations are learning from what happened with SolarWinds? I would say based on the agencies that I serve um, and the federal leaders I've talked to that um, there's four areas that, that the more uh, attentive agencies are focused on, and those four are open source code, obviously, insider threats, SOAR, and privileged access management. Um, there's a lot of uh, technology out there in each one of those realms, and most agencies actually have some pieces of those capabilities, particularly in open source scanning and um, privileged access management. But in general, those solutions are not completely implemented and perhaps they haven't um, implemented the, the latest versions and features. Do you get a sense that there's a push now to implement some of those latest features? Uh, privilege access management as an example is one of those. It's been around for a long time after the OPM breach, it was a really big push for it. You go to the most recent data from OMB and there's still several agencies that haven't quite done it yet. Absolutely. You know, if you recall in the HSPD 12 requirements, um, privilege access management for systems was a requirement and there's still the vast majority of mainframe applications which have um, uh, exclusions from that because those types of solutions are not common in the mainframe realm. So that's just one example. Um, in the open source realm, the, the statistics are daunting and have only really been brought to light basically because of this latest breach in the winter. Here's a couple of key stats. 90% of applications, commercial applications, rely on third-party libraries. And in total, on average, based on studies, that comprises 70% of the actual code in that third-party product. Applications on GitHub have an average of 200 dependencies. And 73% of applications have vulnerability traceable to third-party code. That's production code. 73% have traceable vulnerabilities. So, that's one realm open source, which um, is getting a lot of attention. Um, the reality is open source is pervasive, both in federal custom applications, as well as products that federal agencies are using. The challenge obviously is where did that open source library or piece of software come from? Now, supply chain risk management in the software realm is being addressed somewhat now, finally, by CMMC, but that won't actually have a significant impact in reducing the threats for probably 18 months, just because it's a brand new requirement that just went into effect uh, over the summer. 
So the reality is, what do you do now? Well, you implement a uh, code scanning capability, such as uh, Fortify plus Linotype, which effectively is aware of all of the vulnerabilities, whether it's Jenkins or Puppet or SolarWinds or other products. And as you're scanning your code, those vulnerabilities are being verified based at the DLL level, or if it's custom code, looking at the specific library that you're referencing as a developer. So that's that's an easy one. Um, uh, UEBA, you know, user entity behavior analytics is now part of a lot of solutions um, in the, the cybersecurity monitoring SIEM realm. And ultimately that is going to become a requirement effectively by default or by legislation because insider threats are a known challenge. And by insider threats, we don't just mean nefarious actors. We mean people who perhaps didn't realize the level of authority that the account they're using has and accessing a database while perhaps their uh, their account is has been compromised. Or as we saw in SolarWinds, privilege escalation or uh, vertical privilege management access creates problems. And so the, the uh, SOAR capability, sorry, the user entity behavior analytics capabilities would, based on most industry experts, have been noticed, uh, would have noticed the SolarWinds activities, even though they spanned many months. And actually, that was my question because one of the things about solar winds that I think people lose sight of, and, and there's a whole debate over the Einstein program, and we won't go down that path quite yet. But if you don't know what you don't know, then how can you stop it? So, what you're saying, it seems to me, is you have known vulnerabilities that you can stop, but then the user entity behavior analytics would help you with those unknown ones. That's right. That's right. Another aspect to your point of what don't you know is um, the vast majority of agencies typically struggle to understand the data that they have, and in many cases, the number of copies of data. So that exacerbates the, if you will, the threat attack surface at each agency. So let's make the, the number simple. Let's say there's 400 agencies in federal, and each one has notionally 20 applications, which is probably low. And each one of those applications has, let's say, 20 data sources, and each one of those applications has 20 open source libraries. You, you look at the threat attack surface and it's enormous. So what can you do? Well, we already talked about open source scanning with the right tools. We talked about number of copies of data, which is a massive problem in federal. And actually there's legislation, which is in effect right now to the directs agencies to reduce the number of copies of data and remove redundant or obsolete data. Now, how do you do that? Well, there's tools um, which effectively scan your entire application portfolio and, and database infrastructure to identify where you've got um, PII, where you've got HIPAA data, but also where you've got duplicate data. And obviously that's not a, a magic uh, finger snap, but at least you'd understand where your vulnerabilities are so that you can begin to put in place programs to reduce the redundant data, the obsolete data, as well as, as we talked about earlier, address the question of privilege access management. John, you outlined a lot of uh, problems. We're going to take a break. When we come back, we'll solve some of those problems, at least try to. You're listening to the discussion Innovation in Government, sponsored by Kerasoft on Federal News Network. Bridge the existing with the emerging 
When the competitive ground shifts, you need to be ready. With MicroFocus's enterprise-grade scalable software, government agencies are modernizing their legacy systems. With MFGS Inc., agencies are able to stay mission-focused and compliant with government regulatory mandates, while enabling innovation through cybersecurity, predictive analytics, DevSecOps, and hybrid cloud software. Learn more at mfgsinc.com. That's mfgsinc.com. Welcome back. You're listening to the discussion Innovation and in Government sponsored by Kerasoft on Federal News Network. I'm your host, Jason Miller. My guest today is John Fangi, the Federal Chief Technology Officer for Cybersecurity at Microfocus Government Solutions. John, before break, we we're talking a lot about some of the big challenges, the data, the, the idea of you know, insider threats, but also privileged access management, open source scanning, and all the challenges that agencies face. At the same time, over the last 15, 20 years, we've seen a lot of tools. You talked about TIC. We know about the Continuous Diagnostics and Mitigation or CDM program. Now agencies are big into DevSecOps. Seems like there's a lot of tools, processes, money being thrown at cybersecurity. And we know it's not all about money, but but why isn't this working? Why are agencies, why does it feel like agencies are still behind the eight ball? Uh, sure, great question. Let me start with CDM. So CDM is doing amazing things, but in general, it's helping agencies understand what their vulnerabilities are and effectively creating the federal wide view of where the agencies are. It's, it's great stuff, but it isn't necessarily fixing anything. On the DevSecOps round, thankfully, the security concerns are moving further up the food chain, even into the design process. So security by design uh, or security by definition is becoming a concept that CISOs are driving into the programs as well as IT broadly. And, and that's critical. That probably the best agency slash department that we've seen is the Air Force. Their software factory is probably one of the best in the world. And effectively, some of the, the easy things that they've done would dramatically reduce the likelihood of the solar winds breach, as well as other benefits in the cybersecurity uh, breach and response realm. And, and the most easy and obvious thing is the centralization of open source libraries within a department or agency-wide uh, usage such that the developer isn't out going and getting quote the latest and greatest from GitHub. They're getting that library that's been vetted and is the standard for, in this case, the Air Force, so that you, you can ensure that if there is a problem with that piece of software, you know exactly which one of the DLLs or .exes you have to go look throughout your organization for. That really doesn't require any additional funding or manpower, et cetera, within an agency and would, would dramatically reduce uh, the impact and the likelihood of a solar winds breach. So that's an easy one. Um, there's some other subtleties, which uh, interestingly enough, the cloud movement is going to help with such that, that agencies can require that the builds, the CICD builds and all the other activities actually occur in the cloud on the standard instance, rather than allowing developers to do those compiles and those scans on their own machine. If their machine was compromised, there's a there's a breach possibility there. If you're doing it in the cloud, at least you've centralized everything. It's, if you will, one instance to pay attention to. So those are easy things that we are trying to get agencies to look harder at and implement. Um, with regard to uh, TIC 3.0, it is going to be a slow uh, implementation just because these are fairly significant uh, networking EIS type programs. But, but that's the target. That's really what agencies, CISOs, everyone in IT leadership, as well as program managers who have the ultimate, I think, concern and responsibility for any of that PII or citizen or HIPAA related data. 
it's one of the things we hear a lot about is trying to shifting to the left, understanding where the security holes are. And that's the big push for DevSecOps. CDM is, is really has been a, a really interesting tool as well that can help agencies really understand what they have. The combination of those two things seems to be kind of pushing agencies in the right direction. Do you get a sense that, that based on what your customers are saying, that they're understanding, let's shift it left, let's understand what we have, let's add, if you're not, I don't want to say more security, but let's, let's do a better job of security? Yes, I mean, there's obviously a lot of money, concern, energy being put behind that. I'd say two additional uh, considerations that we try to help agencies understand is that your agency is probably being attacked just like every other agency, perhaps throughout government, but certainly within your side, civilian defense or intel. So having some capability enclave-based information sharing for not only incidents, but remediation is critical. And, and there have been procurements for those types of tools have, that have begun to show up in, in the DOD realm, but it's very early stages. And unfortunately, um, it just puts those agencies, CISOs and CIO and program managers on their own little island. If you had an enclave-based capability to share that incident information, perhaps just within federal, perhaps just within DOD or within a particular civilian department, each one of those capabilities to see what's happening in the other agencies or other departments would be a massive force multiplier. And, and that's going to become very critical for departments and agencies because as we saw in the solar winds breach, there was initial uh, initial identification and wariness about certain behaviors, but there was no ability within federal to get that securely out to the right people in federal for them to take a look and become part of analyzing and solving that problem faster. One of the things that CDM was supposed to do, and I think it's done a fairly good job, is create these dashboards where agencies can see what's happening on their network, share that information with CISA. CISA, they can see it from the government-wide perspective and then say and send out some sort of alert. And I think that's why we're seeing these emergency directives. But I think the question happens is, okay, I get an alert, now what do I do? Do I have enough information to be able to, to address the, the, the vulnerability? Uh, and I think that's what, why there's this big, big push as well for DevSecOps, because if you are, you're address, you can address it on the front end versus Oh, it's in my network. I'm I'm late on it. Um, walk me through a little bit about, about that. The first, let's start with CDM. Do you get a sense that it's having that impact it should be having, or, or is it? Um, I'll use the hackneyed term that just another tool in the toolbox. Well, it, it's it gives fantastic visibility to CISA and and you know other organizations around federal that need to understand that. But it it truly is, if you will, an up and then uh, manual reporting of incidents out. And I, I don't think that's ideally uh, the ultimate answer. Again, this enclave-based cyber incidents um, and remediation sharing capability would put that intel, that information in the hands of all of the SOC analysts, perhaps at your agency, your department, all of DOD, throughout federal, et cetera. And I know SISA uh, is also working on some security operations center as a service. There's a lot going on, I think, in that same viewpoint, which is let's get the information out more quickly to the people who need it the most. When we talk about the solar winds breach like we have been, the, the feeling is this is was a big one, but not necessarily the only one and not the un, not, it's not so unusual. Supply chain attacks, as I said in my opening, are going to be increasing. It, what's your thoughts around whether or not this is something that was new to government or just something that was so big, that's why we heard about it? 
Well, it's the latest big, but the other bigs in the past were, uh, you know, most notably the OPM breach in 2015, where over 21 million records of people, federal employees and contractors, uh, security clearance applications, including mines, probably many other people who were listening to this, was compromised, including all the foreign nationals that I happen to know, plus their contact information. And that's a perfect example where the information got stolen. And those big events do happen in federal every two to three years. But ultimately, that data then becomes this gold mine. And if we can reduce the value of that data through format-preserving encryption, agencies can dramatically reduce, almost down to zero, the value of that data being exfiltrated. With regard to, uh, you know, is it is it just a federal problem? No, it's not. And I think I think the federal government, for the first time, perhaps broadly, because of the solar winds breach, realizes that they're using commercial products just like every other company in America, they're just as exposed because of that. And it's just the reality of you know, the movement towards you know, commercial off-the-shelf software, which is a reality, and there will be additional breaches that, are, that happen through these uh, COTS-type products. So I think the federal agencies, agencies um, and CISA in particular, now realize that that uh, risk is real. Those applications will likely get compromised. And even if CMMC is perfectly implemented, it doesn't really address the vulnerabilities within open source software, as well as other software um, vulnerabilities. That's the one thing I've heard from cyber experts like yourself over the last uh, year or so, that the push for software, the, the dependency on software is one of the reasons why maybe agencies are facing these bigger breaches these days, whether it's SolarWinds or Exchange or Pulse Secure, and add on top of that the you know remote working with Pulse Secure as an example, or add on top of that the reliance on email with Microsoft Exchange. Um, do you get a sense that 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 should be that that type of threat, that threat surface, if you will, should be part of the top of mind priorities for a lot of CIOs and CISOs, the software piece of it? So it's a great question, and you know, once upon a time, not too long ago, perhaps five or seven years ago, the focus was completely on the perimeter and, and you know, perimeter-based security, beginning with TIC 1.0, and now TIC 2.0, et cetera. Everybody thought that as long as we secured those fence lines and the endpoints and the individual devices, we would be safe. And, and clearly that didn't happen. It's still a necessity, but the applications truly are, if you will, the entry points because there's a finite number of uh, network nodes and segments. There's nearly an infinite number of applications across every agency and every agency's employee and federal contractor laptop as an example. So recent events have shown that, you know, even if all of the uh, applications are secure and the perimeter is secure, the reality is that um, there's always a handful of, of users or system accounts as we saw in the solar winds breach, which are excluded from virus scans or are like that have super privileges, which effectively in the right circumstance with the right actor can expose all of that data to be exfiltrated. And that's why we are emphasizing, you know, format preserving encryption based on the NIST standard as being one of the keys to ultimately reducing not only the risk, but also the financial impact to the federal government, as well as contractors and individual citizens. John, you give us a ton to think about. There's a lot of good work happening. Unfortunately, we're out of time, so we'll have to have this conversation uh, again later on. But first, let me thank my guest. John Fange is the Federal Chief Technology Officer for Cybersecurity at Microfocus Government Solutions. John, thank you so much for the time today. 
Thank you. I'm Jason Miller, and you've been listening to the discussion Innovation in Government, sponsored by Kerasoft on Federal News Network. For more on this discussion, visit federalnewsnetwork.com and search innovation. Thank you for listening to the Innovation in Government show, sponsored by Kerasoft on Federal News Network. The entire discussion can be found on demand at federalnewsnetwork.com, keyword innovation.